woke up in a lucid dream. Now we're hunting for the shards. We might be an oddball team, but at least we've got no bards. World What's up everyone, I'm Pedro, the Game Master and Creator of World Walkers. This is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition Actual Play Podcast. What that means is that World Walkers is an actual game that's being played and recorded. I edit in sound effects and music, but everything else you're hearing happens during the game. World Walkers takes place in a custom set of worlds that I've been writing for over 20 years. The players are professional cartoonists, each one with their own comic. Let's go ahead and introduce you to them now. Hi, my name is Megan McKay. I'm playing Tin, who is a female forged fighter and a gunslinger. And you can find my work at doodleforfood.com and onedrewdino.com. Hi, I'm Olivia Welch, and I'll be playing the character Ertleby, who is a grandma and also a gunslinger. She's a druid, but she doesn't know it. She just thinks she's really good at gardening. You can find my work at imaginquest.net. Hi, my name is Jane. I draw the webcomic The Pigeon Gazette, which you can find at thepigeongazette.tumblr.com. I play Vasa, who is a human female rogue. Hi, my name is Wesley Hall, and I play the dwarven wizard Brummelstone Hammer Storm. I make the comic Nameless Species, found at namelessspecies.com. If you've never listened to an episode of World Walkers, this episode will bring you up to speed on what the game's about and what's happened so far. Afterwards, you can jump in at episode 55, A Choice is Made. If you've already listened to the podcast, this recap should give you a good reminder what's happened, and maybe even help you remember some things you might have forgotten. Like any good game of D&D, our story started in a tavern. One by one, our heroes walked into a tavern full of interesting and diverse people who paid them no attention. Once the last member of the group showed up, the people disappeared and an individual descended a staircase. There is a set of stairs that you didn't notice before, um, off to the right. And coming down the stairs, you see a pair of heavy leather boots, followed by green weathered slacks, worn leather gloves, and a tucked-in beige button-up shirt. A cloak of midnight blue drapes the figure, and if you were to look at the fabric long enough, you would swear that you could see the hint of an open night sky on a clear autumn night. A brown goatee sticks out from under the hood of the cloak, almost three inches in length. If you're looking for a face, you don't see one, though. You're honestly not even sure if the figure has one. But you somehow understand that it has a scar across its face, even though you can't see it. We just have that kind of understanding. A satchel hangs over one so, uh, shoulder. As he comes down the stairs, he walks over to the largest table in the area, and there are five chairs set up plus his. And um, he kind of motions forward and asks you to join him, simply through gesture. The group came together, and once seated, they learned the individual went by the name of Patch. After a bit of back and forth, he told them why he brought them together. Long ago, there was an island. It was a small island in the middle of a midnight blue ocean. If you looked into the waters long enough, you could almost see the stars themselves. This island was home to the Dreaming Tree, an expansive tree whose roots ran deep and whose branches reached to all worlds. All dreamers travel the Dreaming Tree, as it is the roots of sleep itself. Sometimes dreamers would find themselves on the island, and some dreamers would decide never to leave. In time, the island became known as Stardust. It was protected by an ancient spirit who looked over all who slept. One day, nightmares came to Stardust. 
formless, ever-shifting. They came to destroy and to devour. The ancient spirit was long gone, his mantle and his burdens passed down from guardian to guardian. The guardian at the time, he, he wasn't strong enough. He watched as the nightmares consumed the dreamers he promised he would keep safe. Before the nightmares could swallow the dreaming tree, the guardian shattered the island, sending the shards of stardust to different worlds. He opened his satchel and placed the dreaming tree inside. Then he fled. He scoured dreams, hiding in many different ones, until he found a sort of pocket, a, a safe place in the dreamscape that the nightmares couldn't get to. Unfortunately, this was not a permanent solution. The dreaming tree started to wither. Without stardust, its roots grew weak and its branches became tired. It started to die. Without the dreaming tree, the people of the world would be unable to sleep. They would close their eyes and stare at the blackness, never drifting off, never resting. Without the dreaming tree, sanity would break away, lives would fall apart, and eventually, the entropy that followed would rip world after world in half, leaving nothing in its wake. The dreaming tree must be replanted. It must be allowed to flourish once again. The shards of stardust must be gathered so that the island can be whole once again. And it must be done by those that can walk both the path of the worlds and the path of dreams. And so that's the story. It's, it's why you're here. And it's why you are here and no one else. Each of you is able to walk between this world and the waking world. The dangers are unimaginable, and the reward is intangible. So, what do you say? Will, will you help restore Stardust? Once his story was complete, he told the group their first task would be to retrieve a guide from the dream city of Mercurius. The group walked through the tavern doors and found themselves in the heart of the city. They traveled the streets of Mercurius until they came across a large tower, where inside they found their guide. A halfling of less than modest height, he has choppy blonde hair, a buckled maroon tunic, white shirt, and brown slacks. Anyone who has a perception higher than a 14 will notice that he also has um, simple gold bands, one on each hand, his ring fingers. And so um, he finally comes down there and walks up to you, he straightens himself up. And um, he fixes his hair, or he, he thinks he fixes his hair. There's no fixing his hair. It's disheveled. And walks up to you and he says, Hi, how, how can I help you? Are you Patch's friend by chance? Hmm, he looks around and says, Yeah. Oh, we are friends with Patches. We had snacks together and he told us a very sad story and he said we needed a guide. She, she tells the truth. Are you Tompkins? I am, yeah, I'm, I'm Tompkins. Yeah, we're here to save save all of existence from the nightmares that yeah. <laughs> King Patch can't handle on his own. Yes, that's right. So he wants me to build you a building? No, take us somewhere. You know, actually, this might not be the right guy. I don't know if Kevin was really clear in his instructions. Should we leave? Their introduction was cut short, however, as the city suddenly fell under attack. The nightmares had already discovered them, and soon they found themselves battling throughout Mercurius, looking for a way out. Tompkins led them to a floating door deep within the city that he assured them was the way out. They walked through, only to find themselves in a series of caves. The group discovered that they were on Obrimos, the home world of Brummelstone and Roberto Hammerstorm. After rescuing a group of miners, the world walkers were led to the city of Hogarth, a mining city that's existed for hundreds of years, but seemingly hasn't changed. Another tavern was visited, but the group was interrupted when the city learned that something called the Lantern had been taken. It didn't take long before the group realized the Lantern was actually the Shard of Stardust they were looking for. 
On their way back to the cave, they found a dwarven corpse. Its face had faded, and no one in the city could remember him. After careful study, Brummelstone learned that the dwarf was killed by the same plague that erased his village from time. Brummelstone revealed to the group that he was the only survivor of his village, and that his orb powered not just his spells, but kept the memories of his people inside them. After entering the caves, it didn't take long before the group found the creature responsible. Surviving the attack, the group chased the creature through the tunnels until it fled through a portal to the Grey, a shadow world of fractured timelines that sat parallel to Obrimos. The world walkers followed the beast into a twisted version of Hogarth made up of tall spires, the tallest of which gave off an inspiring light at the top. Climbing the largest tower, the group fought with another of the creatures of this world, with Herborto ending the fight once and for all. Alright, so you do stab it this time in the buttocks? <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh, they call me the proctologist. <laughs> <laughs> Vasa. See, now you have something to talk about when your parents come over. After the battle, the group recovered the shard and exited the Grey. Once they returned to Hogarth, they discovered that their guide, Tompkins, had already left for the city of Bridgeport. The world walkers attempted to catch up with them, but found themselves lost in the ruins of Tremessa. Inside, the group battled the Drifters, time-broken creatures that were attempting to harvest large crystals for time travel purposes. Vasa jumped in front of a blast of energy meant for Ertleby, and the next moment, the group was back at Hogarth, almost as if they hadn't left. You watch in horror as Vasa is struck by a massive bolt of energy that rips itself free of the immense concentration of crystals hovering in the middle of the room. Before you have a chance to react, a bright light fills the room. Your vision is taken from you, and soon you feel adrift, lost in a moment you can't quite remember. Suddenly, as your vision clears, you find yourself traveling away from Hogarth as you begin your search for Tompkins, who you were told was on his way to visit his parents in the grand city-state of Tremessa. So, yeah, everything that happened from you leaving Hogarth to now, uh, I need you to forget about it. It never happened. It never occurred. Forget about what? Exactly. The group, including Vasa, then made their way to the grand city-state of Tremessa. Instead of ruins, they found a magnificent, welcoming city. Once they reunited with Tompkins, he opened up a bit about his past. So he leads you to the cemetery. It's a beautiful cemetery. There are trees planted all throughout. Um, there's a small pond as well and a really beautiful tree that kind of grows next to it. Um, but he walks away from there and takes you more towards the uh, far edge of the cemetery. And uh, there are two gravestones there. These gravestones look old. They look far older than any other gravestones here. Tompkins, why do these gravestones look so old? Then <laughs> <laughs> he says, well, they, they died a while ago, so... How long is a while ago? I don't really know. It's, it's been a while. But, um... Yeah, What'd so you do, came... stare them to death? Good friend, Vasek. He just kind of... <laughs> doesn't really know what to say to that, so he doesn't. Vasa, I'm sorry, Vasa looks a little bit guilty at what she said, and she kind of offers him one of her cups of mead, which is half empty, but still there. Is this a safe place to talk, though? This is a safe Where place would... to talk. I mean, so... so I, I apologize for the loss of your parents. I know it's hard to lose 
<laughs> he tries desperately to relate, but also get to business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, how old are we talking? Are we talking like years or decades or centuries? Uh, older than decades. And check out the stone cutting while he's talking. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. Can we read what they say? Uh, they're <laughs> they're written in a language you don't understand. <laughs> they're the only mm-hmm. uh, gravestones here that are written in a different language. Duncan, how old are you? <laughs> and he kind of looks down and he says, I am, I actually don't know. The world walkers learned that Tompkins had lived in the dreamscape for so long that he couldn't remember his past. As he travels, he regains more memories, and the path he's taking the group on is simply him retracing his life. He then told the group that his family had discovered a series of tunnels known as the Rounds, and that these tunnels connect every world, which is why he was leading the group to a small cave near Bridgeport. Tompkins also took the time to tell the group, and particularly Vasa, one more thing. I wanted to be off the streets because I I have something uh, that I have to give you. And he's looking at Vasa when he says this. And so he says, um, I remember you telling me to wait longer than three weeks um, when I was here as a kid. And then Vasa stares at Tompkins and then just goes, what have you been drinking at work? Can I get some of that? (laughs) Um... This is really hard. Um, I ran into you a couple days ago. And um, you, you, um, you, you gave me something to give to you. And I, um, I have it right here. And he um, pulls out a pouch. And then from that pouch, he, small, he uh, pulls a small, vibrant uh energy-filled blue crystal. Vasa takes a step back because her expression has grown increasingly skeptical as Tompkins is saying this, and when the vibrant crystal shows, she's like, you know, she she says, Tompkins, what is that? You told me to give it to you. I didn't tell you shit. You (laughs) didn't, but you did. Vasa's looking to everybody else for help, like... Is this one of the crystals from the wall? And also, what was Vasa doing here a couple days ago? She was with us the whole time. Um, I was with the whole time. got that for you. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps this is a shard from something that was a timeline broken past. Uh, Tin just looks at Vasa impressed because she, you know, asked Vasa to keep an eye (laughs) on. She's like, yeah, that's really impressive. How did you, you manage? Yeah, past you was on top of it. So, <laughs> oh. Vasa says uh, very slow. She says, "Tompkins, put that back in the pouch. You put that away." It's. I'm supposed to give it to you. I promised I would. Promised who? I promised you that I would give it to you. So there's something of- about this city that you guys might have heard. Um, the city has these. Uh, so it has like these people who are in charge of stuff but then beyond that there are these two people who always help the city out they're called the travelers i don't know who the other one was and he looks at vasa he's like but the other one was you 
Vasa had no idea what Tompkins was talking about, but pocketed the crystal nonetheless. That night, before the group could get a good night's sleep, their inn was attacked by the nightmares. Refusing to sleep for fear of being attacked again, the world walkers traveled to the cave behind Bridgeport and made their way to the next world. The group emerged from the cave into the steam-powered world of Cog, the home world of Tiny Tim and Ertlebeam. After a treacherous journey through the Ringing Mountains, the group stumbled across bands of cannibalistic goblins that had just finished killing another adventuring party. The Worldwalkers defeated the goblins and retrieved several magical items, including a pair of gauntlets that bestowed great strength to their owner. Naturally, Ertleby called dibs on that one. Making their way to the Kingdom of Phallus, the group learned that an artifact hunter named Clayborne had the next shard of stardust. Leaving Tompkins behind in the city, the group followed Claiborne and made their way aboard the airship she was traveling on. Though reluctant at first, Claiborne did open up to Brummelstone after the two spent a little bit of time together. Brummelstone learned that Claiborne was plagued by nightmares and wore a special necklace to keep them at bay. Eventually, Claiborne agreed to let the World Walkers travel with her and give them the shard once she had shown it to her employer. The group landed in the travel city of Cosnick, where Brummelstone and Claiborne, quickly falling for each other, took off into the city. Within the span of one day, the group became the enemies of a thieves' guild called the Syndicate, learned that one of Ertleby's children was missing, and also learned that Tin's gunslinger master Nina was captured by the Brotherhood of Iron, the dwarven engineers that ran all facets of Cosnick. If that wasn't enough, the World Walkers started to dream of the nightmares and realized their time was already running out on Cog. The group traveled the city and even managed to buy a necklace like Claiborne's, but an attack by the Brotherhood forced the group to split up. While most made it back to the docks, Tin and Roberto were captured and locked away in the deepest parts of the cellar, the prison of the Brotherhood of Iron. There, they discovered Tin's master, who was being tortured by the Brotherhood in order to learn the secrets of the gunslingers. What followed was a breakout from two angles. Tin and Roberto worked to break out of their cells while the rest of the group, reunited with Bremelson and Claiborne, broke into the cellar from the entrance. Tin broke free and released Roberto, but sadly, nothing could be done to save Nina, who died in Tin's arms that day. I, I, she's offering me the gun. I hold on to the gun, but without taking it quite yet, I, I say to her... I'm simply borrowing this to get us out of here. And she kind of just leans back and you take the gun. Because her hands kind of fall. Um, Tin, uh, Tin, Tin shakes, shakes Nina. Can I check for a pulse? Uh, you can. But you don't find one. I can't! I need a moment! I need a moment! Oh my god. Oh, Megan, are you okay? No, I'm not okay! Oh, I'm sorry, Megan! Reuniting in the depth of the cellar, Brummelstone managed to teleport the group out. Afterwards... Claiborne realized that the group's mission was too important, 
and decided to simply give them the shard. The group made their way back to Fallis, where they found an irritated Tompkins. Before they could leave the city, Tompkins noticed Claiborne's necklace and let the group know what a mistake wearing it would be. Those rocks come from the deep dark of the dreaming. They are mined from dead dreams and forgotten hopes. Those rocks suppress dreams. And by doing that, they, they take your soul. They take the, the one part of you that nothing else ever could. Like To not dream is so much worse of fate than you can possibly imagine. With, without dreams, you can't live your life and you, you can't love. It's at that point that uh, Claiborne kind of shifts and she pulls out her pendant. And uh, she says, uh, my pendant has been breaking more and more throughout this week. And she looks at it. When you guys look at it, it's like half shattered. Like it's ready to crumble if it got hit too hard. And she's like, so I guess I know why. And she kind of, she does like a real quick glance over at Brummelstone. Uh, but, and then looks down and she doesn't say anything else. Brummelstone helped Claiborne remove the necklace, but just as he did, you didn't notice her bad posture, but as soon as she takes it off, she kind of, the strength kind of returns to her spine and she kind of brings herself upright a little bit. And it looks like this huge weight has actually been lifted from her that she didn't even know she had. She looks like she's breathing for the first time in a long time. And then light begins to pull back from the area as shadows stretch further and further out from all things. Within moments, you're surrounded by imposing figures of darkness as they begin peeling themselves off of the walls, the sickening sound turning your stomachs as they take shape. Dripping like oil, barely humanoid creatures loom over you, their eyes white and their teeth made of jagged spikes. Claiborne is absolutely motionless, frozen in a moment of fear you'd never expect from her. The World Walkers watched as new nightmares, far stronger than the group had faced before, began destroying Fallas in an attempt to kill Claiborne. The group managed to destroy Claiborne's nightmares, but shortly after, Claiborne realized what she had to do next. She's kind of trying to compose herself. She's having a hard time saying, this is what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to say our goodbyes. You're going to continue moving on and doing what you came here to do. I am going to face everything I've been running from. I'm going to do it because of you. And I'm going to do it until the day you come back. I knew this moment would come and I have something if I may. And he would reach in his backpack and shuffle it through and find the book on Ogrimos mm-hmm. and be like you've taught me so much of your world here is a fine maybe you can find it in your moments and I shall return to you my lady unless Fossa kills me in my sleep <laughs> which is also quite possible that's part of the reason why I'm leaving and she kind of smirks for a second and she says but there's so much more going on that you need to be a part of. I've always run 
from what's come after me because I felt that you know, I was always told that the curse keeps me from staying in one place too long, but the curse it it keeps me from my home. It keeps me from having a home and companionship, and I have both of those in you. And there's no way that I can deal with what I have to deal with if I have everything I've ever wanted in this. And since I can't have it yet, like I have to go. I understand. Before she leaves, he would say, uh, make one promise to me that you'll dream of me. She kind of smiles and she takes her cloak off and wraps it around you. And she says, it's worth the risk. And after one last kiss, she leaves. As the door would close, it would be like looking strongly as she walked down the stairs until like she was either out of sight and Brumblestone would collapse into tears. The group, following Tomkins' memories, traveled to the Fields of the Forgotten. Though Tomkins remembered it as a simple meadow, Tin informed him that since his time, it had become the site of a terrible battle, one that saw the mass destruction of many forged, like herself. Once they entered the fields, they learned that someone, or something, had hollowed out the bodies of the forged and reanimated them as steam-powered monstrosities. The group survived the fields and made their way into the small cave. Inside, the group found small clockwork creatures that nearly ripped apart the metal bodies of Tin and Roberto. Unable to fully heal from the damage they received, the group journeyed deeper into the caves until Tomkins found several paths. One path led towards the next world. Another path led toward a heavily guarded door, one that surely held the answer to what was desecrating the bodies of the forged. The last path, Tomkins declared, was new, and somehow led to the tavern at the end of dreams, the very place they had begun their journey. At this point, you're all caught up with the major points of Worldwalkers. From here, you can start listening at episode 55, A Choice is Made. Or, if you're interested in learning about their adventures, you can start at the beginning with episode 1, The Tavern at the End of Dreams. This story is something I've put my heart and soul into, and I want to thank you for taking the time to let me share it. Whether this is your introduction to Worldwalkers, or you've been with me since the beginning. I want to thank the listeners... I want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash worldwalkers, my friends, and my family for helping me make all this possible. Thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to walk worlds with us.